Amen. Well, for those of you that are just joining us online today, welcome. We're glad to see you. For those of you that are here this morning for the first time, welcome. Uh, I'm preaching through the book of Matthew, or should I say we are preaching through the book of Matthew. And so uh, uh, this is just where we're at and what we're doing. And so if this speaks to you today, God needed you to watch this. God needed you to be here. And I just tore a page of my Bible so we can't go forward. All right. Thank you so much for coming. All right. So um, Matthew chapter five, we're going to be in verses uh, one through 12. It says, and seeing the multitudes, he went upon a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Have you ever met a self-proclaimed Christian with a bad attitude? Yeah, man. Uh, It's not scriptural. Shouldn't have to walk on eggshells when talking to any believer in Jesus Christ. This sermon here is the beginning of uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this Sermon on the Mount, some people will elevate this sermon above other teachings of Jesus, but that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, I want you to pay attention to this sermon that I'm going to deliver, and this is going to be the basis by which all other things are going to be judged by. Someone or we have elevated the Sermon on the Mount and tried to turn it into something it was never intended to be. This is part of Jesus's teaching. This isn't his only teaching. Jesus' teaching starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. Uh, don't say I'm a Sermon on the Mount Christian or I'm in a, a red letter Christian because that's not a Christian. A Christian starts in Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. And so while this ha- sermon has been elevated just because it's Jesus' longest sermon uh, and, and it, there's a lot of great things in it, um, we don't want to elevate it past its own importance. It's important, but it's not the only thing that is important. It's not exhaustive. What happens is you hear something in the Sermon on the Mount and then people say, well, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And I said, yeah, he did say in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he also said later on in Luke. And then he also said uh, in the book of Romans. He said, well, Jesus didn't say, Jesus is the word in the beginning was the word and words with God and the word was God. Okay, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. It's all Jesus. But the Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, those that are following him. And what he's doing is he's showing his disciples the character of those who are in his kingdom and people that are going to inherit his kingdom. Now, some of you may remember last week when I preached on the kingdom of heaven and I told you, know this sermon because I'm not going to explain it every single time. If you missed it, go back and do it because kingdom gets talked about so much that you've got to understand what it means as we talk about the kingdom. And so these beatitudes, which is why we named the sermon, why you beatitude, I thought it was funny. Um... Come on, man. I don't get that much stuff to be funny about. I thought it was pretty funny. And so. In this, Jesus is showing his disciples the character of those who are in his kingdom and those who are going to inherit his kingdom. And this is really a line of delineation for the disciples. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be in my kingdom, this is what your character must be. Jesus said this to his disciples, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be in my kingdom, this is must, who you must be. This must be your character. 
It translates to today in our, in our lives where if we are going to be his disciple, if we're going to be in his kingdom, this is who we must be. This must be our character. Now, as Jesus is speaking to these uh, people that are listening to him, uh, these are the people that have been rejected or excluded from the power of Roman life. It was, a, it was an interesting uh, uh, situation governmentally where there was a group of people that held all the power and executed this power on all the people. And there was more people that were being power put upon them than the people that actually had the power. It'd be weird if that actually played today. You know what I mean? Where people felt as though they were given the short end of the stick because they weren't Romans and they weren't part of the ruling class. And so they were under the power of Rome and Rome took advantage of them all the time. Or the corrupt life of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so Jesus speaks to these dejected do-nothings, have-nothings under the power of government. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to give you the kingdom. I'm going to free you from these people. I'm going to show you how living above this world is going to change your life. And that's why these attributes are so timeless. That's why even today, 2,000 years later, these uh, attributes are the antithesis of what the world teaches. They are the complete opposite of the ethos of the world. They are the ethos of the disciple of Jesus Christ, that we are not supposed to be like the world. We're not supposed to love the world. We're not supposed to imitate the world. We're supposed to be like Christ. Amen? Amen. And so as we go through this and they talk about being blessed and we say, well, what does blessed mean? Blessed in the simplest of terms means to be prosperous. It means to be doing well. It means to be fortunate. It means to be well off, doing better than most, favored by God, having the good life. And so when Jesus talks about being blessed, some of these things might be tangible. Many of them are not uh, uh, physically tangible. They're just spiritually tangible. But in that you are blessed. Talks about the kingdom of heaven, who will receive it. Next week, we talk about salt and light. But this character precedes those that can be salt and light. If you don't get this character right, you can't be salt and light. So it's very important for us to be able to get this so that we can be salt and light to a lost and dying world. These characteristics display what we should be, who we are not, who we could be, and who we can be now, and who we can be in the kingdom. And so my hope is as we go through these, that you will reflect on your own heart. You reflect on the the own places where you're at uh, in your life. If you don't know me, this will be fun. If you do know me, it will be equally fun as well. Let's get into these. Jesus starts out and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says that in verse three, uh, the poor in spirit. Now, uh, I talked about the kingdom before, not going into it. Poor in spirit is a spiritual idea. Uh, people will try to use this and hijack this verse and say poor. He's not talking about economics. He's talking about spiritualomics and spiritualomics are, is that if you are poor in spirit, you are someone who feels an overwhelming sense of spiritual emptiness and insignificance in your life apart from God. Jesus is saying, you know what? If you find yourself wanting after the things of God, if you find yourself feeling like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm poor in my spirit and you feel empty, uh, Jesus says, do you know what? Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus says the poor in spirit are the people that are not self-sufficient and strong. They are the people that admit weakness and say, I need God. I can't live this life on my own. I've tried to live on my own and I'm not able to live that way and I need 
need a savior. I need somebody to help me. Isaiah 66, two says, but on this one, I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. This is something that God has always looked for in his followers. Someone that's not that thinks that they're good enough, but someone that's smart enough to say, I need a savior. I need a God. I need someone to fill me. I need someone to satisfy me. I need someone to help me. I can't live this life on my own. This is in contrast to the pharisaical spirit of self-righteousness, self-support and self-pleasure. See, the Pharisee has no emptiness because they are their own God. See, the self-righteous, the ones that don't need God and they don't need the support of the spirit, they're actually filled to the point with themselves that they don't need God. And so they don't desire after him because they're filled with desire for themselves. And I'll be the first one to tell you, man, I need people. <laughs> I desperately need people. Uh, some of y'all are introverts. That's not me. I'm an extrovert. The difference an introvert and an extrovert is an introvert gets power being alone. Okay. An extrovert gets power being with people. So the more people I'm around, whoop, whoop, man, I was like, me and Crystal, Crystal's more introverted than I am. So we'll be like, event, event, event. And I'm like, what are we doing tomorrow? And she's like, I'm done. And I'm like, what are you, I'm just warming up. Let's go. I never get tired of being around people. I love them. And why do I love people? Because I need people's support. I feel empty when I'm not around people. I need people's encouragement. I need people's affirmation. And I'm, and I guess I'm weak enough or strong enough to admit that about myself. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that says that I can do it on my own. I I really cannot do it on my own. I would die without my friends. But above and beyond that, I also admit that I need God. And I realized that nothing else in this world satisfies. I don't care what I have. I don't care what I do. I don't care what I experience. I don't care what I purchase. Man, I need God. You know, C.S. Lewis said, you know, one of the greatest indications that we were not made for this world is that this world never satisfies. It doesn't matter. You can go on vacation and it ends. You can buy something and it breaks. You can go experience something and it just is not enough. Man, I need God. I need his spirit. I need his word. I need, I need to be in his presence. I need Jesus. I need him. See, James says in James chapter four, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are you poor in your spirit or you depend on yourself? Are you a self-righteous, wicked person that says, I don't need anybody else and I don't need God? You're a stench in his nostrils. God does not appreciate the self-righteous. He does not appreciate the self-supporting. He blesses those that are poor in spirit. And so Jesus says, you want this Roman people that say that they don't need God will not inherit the kingdom. But those of you that say that you do need God, you will inherit the kingdom because that's what God is looking for. See, we as a society pride ourselves on self-sufficiency, but that's not God. The, the, the American ethos of self-sufficiency is not a godly ethos. Hey, have you ever noticed if, if, if you uh, own a, how many people here own a, own a lawnmower? Raise your hand if you own a lawnmower. Some of you wouldn't even raise your hand if I said you own a hand. Uh, people like, as soon as I said it, they're like, oh man, he gonna put us on the landscaping team. Like, No. I saw your hands. Um, here's the thing is that now, how many of you that own a lawnmower live next to someone else that either is next door to you or across the street from you that has a lawnmower? Every single one of you. Why? Because you refuse to work with anybody else besides yourself. 
Because you don't want to have to ask for help. You don't want to have to borrow. You don't want someone to mess up your precious lawnmower. And so you have your own lawnmower. You're self-sufficient. And you have your own trimmer and your own rake and your own broom. Man, we could break the system if we would have 10 people share lawnmowers. Now, I ain't doing it, but I'll preach about it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I got my own lawnmower too. The point is not that I've arrived, okay? The point is that we're all equally self-sufficient, right? Every time now you're going to be mowing that lawnmower, looking at your neighbors like, man, why am I so sufficient? Why am I so wicked that I have my own mower? Be poor in spirit, man. Spiritually, be poor in spirit and say, you know what, Lord? I don't want to mow my own lawn. I don't want to do that. I need your help. See, because no personal righteousness can satisfy only the Lord. I don't care who you are or what you've done or where you're at in this life. God says, you know what? Poor in spirit, that's what I'm looking for. And this, this Hebrew word for poor means to abase yourself, to afflict, to chasten yourself, to deal hardly with, with this word for poor. It's, it's to defile, exercise, to be humble. One of my favorite stories in scripture is from Luke chapter 18, where the two guys go up to the altar and Jesus is uh, telling the story. And one guy goes up to the altar and he says, man, I give a 10th of all I have. And I give to the poor and I live this righteous life. And the other guy says, man, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner that needs a savior. And Jesus looks at these two guys and he says, he says this, he says, the tax collector standing afar off would not so much raise his eyes to heaven, but in his, in his, but beat his breast said, God be merciful to be a sinner. And Jesus said, this man will go home justified. And that's, that's really the spirit that God is looking for is this spirit of like, you never arrive. You never say to a place where like, man, I don't need God anymore. Man, I need him all day, every day, 24, 7, 365. Jesus says in verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, again, people will take verses out of context. It's very important to understand the context of scripture. Because if not, people will lead you astray. When Jesus talks about blessed are those who mourn so they shall be comforted, there are many scriptures that talk about God giving uh, comfort to those that have experienced bad things. But this scripture specifically in light of the kingdom of heaven, because we talked about what the kingdom of heaven was and the preaching of the kingdom was, the preaching of the kingdom of heaven is repent, right? Turn from your sins and turn towards God and be forgiven of your sins. And so when Jesus says, uh, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, it is those who mourn over their sin. Those are the people that shall be comforted. Those are the ones that shall be blessed because when they mourn over what they have done, they find comfort in God's pardon. See, repentance uh, begins when you have sorrow over your sin. When you say, I've done wrong and I've done against God and you you have an emotion about it. You're like, ugh, that's bad. Like I I shouldn't have done that and I'm shameful and I'm sorry that I did those things. And so Jesus says, you know what? Those people that have a mourning over their sin, they are going to see the comfort of Jesus. They're going to see his comfort. And that's a promise from scriptures, amen? I will tell you that I get no pleasure from listening to people talk about their past sins in a joking, positive light. I think it's disgusting. I really do. And I know that there's some people, and I've heard them throughout my years, that they, they hang out and they, and they want to talk about like, oh man, you know, before I was a Christian, I used to deal with these kind of drugs and I used to smoke this kind of stuff and I used to drink this kind of stuff and I used to have this many uh, relations and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like, they laugh about it. They literally, like they're joking about it and thinking like it's a funny thing, but well, you know, I don't do that anymore. Like if I had killed somebody and I went to prison and then I stood up here and I talked to you, I was like, yeah, man, I totally killed that guy. 
<laughs> you guys be like, gosh, what a wicked person. But we, we do it all the time. And I don't care what kind of sin, whatever sin you got delivered from. It's not precious. It's not positive. It's disgusting. And then that mourning over our sin should lead us to just be like, man, I'm so glad that I, that I'm forgiven of that thing. I'm so glad I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to reference it. I don't even want to have anybody know that thing about me. And people, and I know people say, well, I got to have a testimony. Yeah, you do have a testimony, but you don't have to share it in such a way that you're more excited about your sin than the savior. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Friend, you are forgiven through Jesus Christ. You are set free, but it doesn't mean that you can't hate your past. Doesn't mean that, and, and, and maybe I'm just, maybe I'm the only one. I'm standing here alone talking to the chairs, but I've done stuff in my past that I am still ashamed of that I've been forgiven of. Maybe you're not ashamed of it, but I, there's some stuff that I'm never going to speak about and I never want to think about. And I don't want anybody to know about because it's just gross, dude. It's just gross. And so when Satan brings those things back into my mind, I don't feel as though I'm not forgiven. I just kind of look at it and it makes me for a moment more. And I mean, and sometimes I'll be, I might be worshiping and I'll, and I'll hear a, a song and I'll, and I'll think, and I'm like, gosh, man, thank God that I'm, that's not held against me, man. Thank God that I'm forgiven of that. And then it makes me go, you know what? I never want to go back to that. I never want to go there again. I mean, and I'm, I'm talking about like, you, you know, you go to your GPS and it's like, well, five minutes to go around it, man, I'm taking the 10 minute detour because I don't even want to drive by there and remember what happened at that place. Isaiah 57, 15, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And again, this isn't some self-loathing, I'm not forgiven, I'm no good spirit. It's the, I ain't that, I don't want to be that, I ain't going back to that spirit. Don't misinterpret this to think that I'm beating you up about your past. Man, you have been set free through the blood of the lamb. You're wall-to-wall Holy Ghost, amen? You're forgiven. As far as the, the, the sin is cast from the east to the west. You know, I, I, I've done things that I'm, I'm, I'm less than pleased with in my life. And I remember back when I was in the army, I, I took part in this activity on an evening one time. And, and someone was nice enough to record it on a videotape, a VHS tape. You guys remember those? so big. <laughs> and so someone videotaped it and, uh, gave me the tape and was like, Oh man, you'll watch this later and you'll think it was hilarious. And, um, you know, cause it, I, at the time, whenever you're doing something, you think it's fun. Maybe you guys remember yeah. someone, has anybody ever sinned here? Cause I, whenever I start talking, I talk about my sins and you guys look like don't move. He'll know we sinned. <laughs> Quit moving. See us sinners. Jeez, man. So someone gave me a tape of it. And I remember I held on to that tape for like 10 or 15 years. Cause in the back of my mind, I was like, well, you know, it's from the army and it's funny and you know, it's not that bad. I won't go to jail for what I did on the tape. It's just like, and then I really started to think about it. And I was like, you know what? I don't want my kids seeing this tape. I don't want my wife seeing this tape. Why am I holding on to this thing, man? 
I cracked that thing across my knee and I threw it in the garbage. And any picture, paper, any book, anything that I ever find that's in the piles of junk that I have that reminds me of anything from my past of a person I don't want to be anymore, man, I rip that stuff up and I just throw it away. Like, man, I don't even remember those things, man. I don't remember any about that stuff. See, the, the Bible says in Isaiah 61 that he has, been, that Jesus has been sent to heal the brokenhearted. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we broken over our sin or do we celebrate it? Is there a mourning? Is there a shame? Because if you're brokenhearted and there's mourning, there's shame. Jesus says that's good because you're going to be comforted and you're going to inherit the kingdom. Praise God. I want to make it clear. I'm not asking you to beat yourself up your whole life and not moving on. But there's nothing wrong with mourning over your sin after God has forgiven you over it to keep you from going back to that thing. Some, some of y'all would do better to remember what you went through. Some of I'm like, did you not remember what happened last time? And then you went back to it? Whew, I don't want to feel that way again. I don't want to go there anymore. Verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, who are the meek? They are the humble, not the arrogant, not the prideful. They're able to find contentment and are not contentious. This is for somebody. I wish somebody would amen me this morning. Help me out. They're able to find contentment and are not contentious. They're blessed now and when Jesus returns. Now, let me, let me make this clear. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. It is realizing that being viewed as or treated as less than, it's okay. That's what meekness is. Meekness is, the, again, the opposite of self-righteousness, self-righteous. And so a, a meek person might look stupid or a, me, a meek person might be taken advantage of or a meek person, people might think certain things about him. And Jesus says, you know what, man? That's okay because the end thing is they're going to inherit the earth, not the arrogant, not the prideful. It's going to be the people that are humble, that, that aren't arrogant, See, the Bible says in Romans 12, 3, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Not to think of yourself more highly than he ought. Friend, there is such an enormous balance here between thinking of yourself with sober judgment and not falling over into self-loathing where you think that you have no value. There's a balance, man. And and here's what's hard is that like, let's not pretend that I don't know myself, man. I I know who I am and and I'm confident. I just am. I I don't have a problem walking into a room and I don't have a problem talking to people. Uh, I I can, I just am. I've I've been that way for a long time. I was just like, it's a gift, right? But, but the balance is, is that, and this is where people misconstrue who I am as a, as a person is that my confidence in who I am and the way that I act and the way that I speak and the way that I carry myself is never at the expense of anybody else. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. Like if you really knew how I felt about myself, you'd probably be like, why do you think that way about yourself? Because how I act and my confidence isn't connected to how I feel about myself. And just because I'm confident doesn't mean I'm arrogant. Just because I'm, I'm confident to speak doesn't think that I'm better than somebody else who can't. Just because I can control a room and somebody else can't doesn't mean that I think that they're less than. There's a, there's a balance in there. And, and I share that with you in a, in a moment of vulnerability, not to make you think I think I'm better than you, because I really don't, man. I think I'm about as good as navel lint or a steam, piling, stealing, steaming pile of dung, you know? You have value. 
but your value isn't more than anybody else's. (laughs) The truth is it's probably less than somebody else's. I mean, at any moment that you think you really have like, woo, man, I'm kind of good. And then God will bring somebody else around. You're like, dang it, man. (laughs) And then I praise God for those moments, right? You know, someone will come along and just like take it to another level. You're just like, okay, all right. I'm not as far along as I thought that I was. I'm so encouraged by Matthew 11:29, where Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, the creator of the universe, he didn't shoot lightning bolts and he was lowly in spirit right? And Jesus says, learn from me, learn from me and say, you know what? If I was lowly in spirit, you can be lowly in spirit. It's like that old hymn that says he could have called 10,000 angels, right? But he didn't because he was lowly in spirit. And that's the operative term, lowly in heart. You can be confident and not have it be at the expense of others. You can elevate others and not yourself. You know how you do that? You make your life about other people. It's just what you do. The Bible says in Philippians chapter two, let nothing, nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Gosh, where's that cough drop? Uh, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let, let each esteem others better than himself. That means no matter where you go, no matter who you're around, no matter what you do, you have to think in your mind, this person's probably better than I am. It's like, I don't remember who said it was it Spurgeon or Tozer. Somebody says, when somebody treats you bad, don't feel bad about it. Cause you're probably far worse than they think you to be. <laughs> it's true. The good news is, is that the world will eventually come into the hands of the meek followers of Jesus. Galatians six, three, it says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. <laughs> How can we don't put that on a sign in our houses? You know what I mean? So behold the plans I have for you. I, I think we should have signs that say, for if anyone thinks of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Yeah. And isn't that, isn't that really where it comes from all of when someone treats us bad or cuts us off in traffic or cuts us in line at the grocery store? It's because we think like, who do you think you are? My grocery store, you cut me in line. I'm important. I got places to be. You know what I mean? Is that not how you guys think? Guys, like I just walk around like Jesus. I don't even shop. I just stand there and just let people go in front of me for hours. It's like the other day, someone didn't, I was trying to get over in traffic and, and I was trying to get over in traffic. And then this, uh, I have an SUV. And so I was trying to get over in traffic because my lane was ending. And then this guy in a small little uh, vehicle accelerated so that I couldn't get over. And I was like, I was gripping it. I was like, it was a two lane road. So I couldn't say anything. I just felt cold air and shame. And, uh, and then I started to think about it. And as I was driving, I said, you know what? Who was the jerk in there? Because gosh, why was I so, I wanted to be in front of him. If I would have slowed down, I could have just let him in front of me. But I was so selfish and filled with loathing behavior that I was taking it out on the poor little guy in the Prius. What, you don't know who wants to be behind a big SUV? No one. You can't see anything behind there. If I was a loving, caring Christian person, I'd let everybody in front of me. I need Jesus. Here's the next one. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I do this thing called intermittent fasting. Has everybody heard of this? What intermittent fasting is, it's a lifestyle change. Uh, I I started it like four years ago. So I only eat uh, in an eight hour window every single day. And it usually falls between 12 PM and 8 PM. And so, uh, people that know me and spend time with me have come to figure out this is the way that I live my life. And I've been doing it for almost four years. Um, and, uh, it's funny when you're around me cause like it, at, there's literally a sign in our kitchen that says, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hungry. Um, cause people that are around me, like they, they know like uh, the witching hour is like 11 o'clock and they're just like, Matt, you're almost there. And then at 12, they like throw food and then they jump back and they're, Rawr! you know, and if you catch me around 7:30, I'm in the kitchen, just like eating coconut, like, ah, trying to get it in so I can have some healthy fats to carry me through for the uh, next time I get to eat. Why do I share that with you? Um, as I've done intermittent fasting over the last four years and, and really like 98% of the time, I only eat between the hours of 12 and eight. There, there's a few wiggles sometimes, but it's rare. It's really what I do. And some people say like, man, doesn't it get easier after, after you've been doing it for four years? And I'll tell you, man, no, no, it does not. <laughs> I'm hungry most days. I, I'm, I, I like, I literally eat and I'm still hungry. Like I live in a perpetual state of hunger. Like right now it's 12. And if you had a burger, I'd be like, so anyway, and then Jesus, what he said, like I'm all like, it never, go, I get up at 6am and then I'm like thinking about food. I'm watching other people eating, wishing I could eat. Like that's just literally how I live my life. Why, why do I share that with you? Is because Jesus says it's okay to be hungry spiritually. In the same way that I think about food 16 hours a day, Jesus says, you know what? It's okay to think about righteousness. It's okay that even, even after you've spent time with Jesus, it's still okay to hunger after righteousness and say, do you want, man, I'm still not satisfied in who I am. It's okay to still hunger after righteousness because God says, you know what? I'm going to fill you. I'm going to fill you so much uh, that that you're not going to hunger anymore, but you're still going to hunger when you're on this side of heaven because you're not home yet. That hunger is never going to subside on this side of heaven. It's just not. We have Jesus and don't get it wrong, man. I'm content. I'm content with Jesus, but it's still not enough, man. This is well, this world's not my home. This is not where I was meant to be. I'm being, I'm being prepared for glory, right? I got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I can't wait to get there. I want to go home. I want to be with Jesus. Says in John, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the son of man will give you because God, the father has set his seal on him. Many times we'll labor after food that perishes. Like, and this is the reason why, like sermon examples about food always play out. Pastor Jay had a banger on Wednesday. You guys should listen to it. If you missed it real good. Um, and, uh, cause every, everyone here eats, right? Yeah. <laughs> Still be like, no man, I don't eat. <laughs> talking about volunteer me for something if I say I eat don't say you eat and so you so you identify with hunger we all identify with hunger some of you are identifying with it right now you're like when's this thing gonna end I gotta go get my drive through listen man you got nowhere to be to do nothing with nobody okay but do you notice about hunger that hunger always returns you have to eat again have you noticed this it doesn't matter how much you eat, you're still hungry the next day. You may not be hungry right away, but may, eventually you eat again. You're never like, well, oh, I ate last year. It's great. <laughs> it never satisfies. That's the nature of hunger. 
There, there's other desires that we have as married consenting adults that can be satisfied, but the hunger returns. Thank you. Everybody else is like, well, I never believe, believe in the stork. God has created us with hunger. We, there, are, there are certain things that are built within us that are like a clock that no matter what you do, they will never be satisfied. And spiritually on this side of heaven, you're never going to be satisfied. That's why you can't go to church one Sunday. Oh, church. Yeah. Back in 79 with this one Sunday. It was great. Perfect. No, our week is such is that God has created us as humans with a hunger that, that you can come and satisfy. Oh man, it's so good. So good. And then like Thursday, Friday comes around. It's like, gosh, man, I need to be back in the house of the Lord. One church service isn't even enough, man. I need to hit it on Wednesday too. It's not enough. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this righteousness that we seek is from God alone. And then these people that Jesus is talking about are these people that deeply desire to honor God, to be right with him, to honor him, to say, you know what, God, I just, I continue to hunger after more righteousness. I want to be more right in your eyes. I'm not where I need to be, God. Do more inside of me. Father, I find my righteousness in Christ, but I hunger for more. I want to be a, a person that hungers after God like I hunger after food. Can you imagine if you hungered after God the same way you hunger after your food? You spend as much time and money as energy about like, man, you don't expect me to eat this, do you? I want to get this. I want to eat this. No, fear. Follow after God. Seek for him like we do after food. Yeah. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Seek God and you will be filled to the full. Jesus says in verse seven, blessed are the merciful so they shall obtain mercy. See, what this means is that those who give others mercy because of the mercy they have obtained will get mercy. And if you don't know what mercy means, mercy means giving up. It's giving somebody forgiveness. It's giving somebody else preference over yourself. Jesus upholds mercy as a kingdom action and mindset. And he says, you know what? If God has given you mercy and God has forgiven you, then you in turn should give mercy to other people. Seems pretty easy, doesn't it? Like, oh, I've been forgiven. I should forgive other people. I've been given mercy. I should give mercy to other people. Jesus says in Luke six thirty six, therefore be merciful just as your father is also merciful. And I will tell you that we as Christians should be the most merciful people in the room. We should get no pleasure from retribution. Sadly, many of us do get pleasure from people getting what they deserve. And one of those people in the room is me. I, uh, and I get it, man. Like there's this part where I love Jesus and I'm, you know, I'm, but like Pastor Kevin this week, he was wronged by somebody in the business world. And I was like, let's go, dude, roll up. Does anybody else get that way? And y'all need Jesus. Let's preach to me and you for a minute here. This person wrong, Kevin, and, and it was a big wrong. It was just wrong. Kevin hadn't done anything wrong. And this other person just wronged him, no one at church, in the business world. And I was like, gosh, what a jerk. And then in my mind, it's just like, how are we going to get back at this guy? We're going to get a lawyer. We're going to do this. We're going to... Anybody else have these thoughts? And then Kevin, Pastor Kevin goes, no, I'm just going to honor God. It's okay. 
I was like, that's real good. Let's do that. And that's just how I feel when one of my friends is wronged. Now, when it comes to me, like, I, I wish that, like, my initial thought is always like, ah, oh, mercy. I just, I'm not there yet. I, like, I'm, I'm much more merciful than I have been, but I'm not where I need to be. That's why I hunger after thirst for righteousness. It's because I need more mercy in my life. Amen? We've got to forgive people. We've got to let other, fail, let other people fail. Don't hold them to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The truth is I've been late to stuff before. I've messed up before. I've wanted mercy before. So much mercy for the things that I've done. And so when I, when I want mercy, that means that I should give other people mercy. The Bible says that if we give mercy, we'll get mercy. Micah 7.18 says that God delights in mercy. That means that when you're merciful with others, God is delighted. Just give it. Just give merciful. Psalm 18.25 says, With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. If we want to see the kingdom of God, if we want to obtain mercy, we've got to be able to give mercy. And Jesus gets in, really gets into it here where it starts to get really hard if it wasn't hard already. And he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now this literally might be the hardest one of them all. And what he's saying is that those who are not just righteous in action, but those that are righteous in their desires and intents, they're going to see God. Now, let me explain this to you if you're not understanding it. As Christians, there's things we shouldn't do, right? You shouldn't do X. But that's not really the standard of the scriptures. The standard of the scriptures is don't do this. The, The standard of the scriptures is don't even desire to do this. And it's, frankly, some of these things are not that hard to do. But Jesus says, okay, but don't be a Pharisee and say, well, I don't do these things, I'm good. Jesus says, but do you desire to do those things? Because if you desire to do those things, then you're not pure in heart. And the standard of the New Testament is higher than the standard of the Old Testament, where before it's like, do not murder. And Jesus says, don't hate your brother. Don't sleep with somebody who's not your spouse. Don't even lust after somebody who's not your spouse. And so people say, well, you know, it's okay. I just have this desire, but I don't act on the desire. That desire is equally wicked. A desire is just as wicked as an action. That's why we get judged by God on, 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 on emotions of envy and jealousy and greed. There's no action. There can be actions to those, but just even that feeling is a sin. And God says, I'm judging the intent of your heart. Work on those things. Get those things out of your heart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A lot of times in my own life, I'm probably not seeing God because of the wicked things in my heart that aren't pure. That's why we have to pray uh, like the psalmist did in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a, a steadfast spirit within me. And the changing of the desire is hard. It's really hard. That's why we have to pray and we have to go before God in worship and in prayer and his word and say, God, there's this wicked intent inside of my heart. No one can see it. And if they saw it, they wouldn't love me. And if they knew my head and they knew what I thought about, they wouldn't even want to sit next to me. And so God, I need you to change this thing inside of me. God, I need you to change my desires. I don't, I don't want to not do it. I don't want to not think about not doing it. I don't even want to think about it. I want to be so far in this direction that it's not, oh, this is still, I didn't even, I didn't even thought about it because my desire's for you and nothing else. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Isn't that the truth? 
you start thinking about something, then you start feeling something, then you start doing something that you, do, that you shouldn't do. And that's just how it is. Trip to the bowl of ice cream doesn't start on the way to the kitchen. It started when you redirected your car on the way home from work and went down that aisle and it was on sale and you bought four cartons. Like this is... <laughs> And we, you know, it's funny. Y'all, y'all be buying toilet paper. I buy ice cream. <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? Me and Faith, we call it panic ice cream. Let's go. <laughs> fight the heart battle. Don't just fight the action battle, man. Fight the heart battle. It's worth fighting. James four eight. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And what do I say it the way? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. It's for me too. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Force yourself to go through this hard work. Force yourself, man. Change your heart. If you've got greed in your heart, force yourself to celebrate other people's wins. If you've got envy in your heart and greed in your heart, start giving your money and stuff away. Say, God, break me of this. Whenever I start to love money too much, I just start giving it away. So I'm like, God, break this of me. I don't want to do this anymore. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. I got two more for you and then we'll get out of here. It doesn't mean fold up your Bible. It means we're almost done, okay? Here's the next one. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now, there's people who like to fight and people who like to make peace. That's just how it is. And I, for the most part, I really don't enjoy fighting. Um, I, it makes my stomach hurt and I, I, don't, I don't like being at odds with people. I don't enjoy it. Some people do, they love it. It's like a drug to them. Like, like they enjoy fighting. Um, that's not my lot, but there's, I deal with some people that um, <laughs> want to fight. And so Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So if you want to be called a, sons of God, a son of God, God says, you want, then make for peace. Don't, don't make for a war. Don't make for fighting. I want to show you in this scripture that doesn't get a lot of play in Christianity. It's in first Corinthians chapter six, verse seven. And, and there's a lot of scriptures that we talk about a lot of time, but this isn't one that's really kind of in American Christianity. This isn't one that people, people say, Oh, God works together. All the things for him. We're according to there. You know what I mean? Like people know that one back and forth. I think this is one we should add to our uh, repertoire. Now, therefore it is already an utter failure that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Leave that one up there, would you please? Now, as Christians and as people, and I've seen it in myself, I've seen it in you, I've seen it in this church, I've seen it in this life. There's this sense of like global making it right and wrong. Like I've been wronged and as I've been wronged, this thing must be made right on this side of heaven. I don't care what it is something that's big or something that's small, but there's this, this feeling that somebody has inside of them that says like, well, I've got to be made things. And even if it costs a war, if it costs a fight, it's worth it because at the end of the day, I'm going to get my justice. I'm going to get what, what to do me. And, and that's just not the Bible way. The Bible way says, why do you not rather just accept wrong? Why do you not r- rather just let yourself be cheated? I yeah, mean, people might say things about you. People might think things about you. Some might think that you're weak. Oh, wait, there's meekness. Some might think that you're not good enough. Some might think that you're broken or whatever. And, and you know what God says? God says, you know what? It's fine. Why don't, why don't you just rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather just let yourselves be cheated? If that's what it takes to bring peace, then do that. Because that's just going to bring peace. It'll honor God. It may not get you justice on this side of earth, but it will get you justice before God. This idea that all wrongs against us must be made right on the side of heaven. 
this side of heaven cause more strife than peace. And we're supposed to work towards peace. And sometimes that means that you just have to, oh, we're going back to the other one. Think of others more than yourselves. Now think of yourself more highly than you ought and just be like, you know what, man? I'm not special enough to even warrant a fight over this thing because I'm not even that worthy anyway. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Hebrews 12, 14 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. As it depends on us, let's not blame other people. Let's just pursue peace with all people. Just be a peacemaker. And and we all know these people that are, that are unreasonable, right? People that can't be reasoned with. They love to fight. They look into a fence. Now, if it's you stop, okay, no one likes you. Stop it. (laughs) They're avoiding you. So no one wants to hang out with me. Yeah, because they're walking on eggshells around you all the time because you love to fight. You're easily offended. It's not the ethos of Jesus, man, at all. Just be a peacemaker, man. Quit worried about so much about what other people think about you. Like, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. It'll it'll get handled in heaven. I'm going to inherit the earth because I'm meek. Wait, I'm not meek because I'm saying I'm not meek. Here's the last part of it, and then I'll let you guys go. Blessed are those who, per, who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, over the last few years, and, and for many years, uh, the, the style of preaching that, that I do and the way in which I view God and his word is not the same as everybody else. I get that. Um, but, but I believe the parts of the book of Revelation, and I, and I believe the parts of the Bible that talk about the end and, and, and everything else. And, and so for many years, like many preachers have talked about like, oh, the, the end is coming and the rapture and the end of all things. And, and, and like, maybe it's just the time that we're living in, but there's things that are happening now in my lifetime that I've never seen happen at any other time in my lifetime. Uh, being told not to worship, being told not to attend church, being forced to do stuff that you don't want to do, being forced to take vaccines that you may not want to take. Like there's all this forcing, line drawing, warring, fighting that's going on that I've never seen before in my lifetime. And and if you haven't been listening to me over the last few years, and you don't have to listen to me now, it's fine. But I would encourage you to listen and say, you know what? It's not going to get better. It's just not, man. The, the, the world has hated us before now. They're going to continue to hate us and they're looking for any opportunity to destroy the church. And if, they, and if we're collateral damage now, they're, they're going to be fine with it. It's easy for uh, some governmental official that doesn't love Jesus and doesn't care about church to say, yeah, they don't need to meet. Like they don't care, right? And so this persecution is not going to end. It's going to increase. And so we have to settle in our spirits. And Jesus told his disciples to settle it in their spirit. Blessed will you be when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, man, means that you're going to be persecuted. He goes so far as to say in verse 11 and 12, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so, so, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And even now people are saying bad things about the church and saying bad things about meeting and gathering and oh, and they're selfish and blah, blah, blah. Like, and it's, it's just persecution. It really is because I'm trying to honor God and people want to say that it's, uh, you know, not honoring God, but they don't even know God. So they don't even know what it takes to honor God. So why are they going to tell me what it takes to honor God? Jesus tells his disciples to understand persecution comes to those who follow Jesus. It just does, man. First Peter four twelve, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though something strange is happening to you. 
if you are really following Jesus, and maybe this is the, the moment in time where you're actually going to actually do something that's going to put you in the crosshairs of the world. The world is going to hate you for it. They're going to persecute you for it. They're going to talk about you. Your family's going to say things about you. Some of your family members have already said things to you. Oh, wow. A lot more than I expected. I don't care. Jesus made it clear that loyalty to him and him alone. But don't be surprised by it. Don't be like, oh, man, I'm being persecuted, right? How many of you guys ever, there's this highway over here called uh, Highway 167. Has anybody ever been on that highway before? Has anybody ever been there at 4 o'clock going southbound? What about, what about northbound 405 at 6 a.m. or I-5 in any direction, any time of day? Like, <laughs> right? You get in your car and then you get in the middle of this <laughs> traffic, this parking lot, and then you lose your mind. What are these people doing? Get out of my way! When you know full well... Getting into your car and falling into the stream of any one of these highways or interstates, you're going to be in traffic. Do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Did you not know that you were getting in your car and driving on the freeway? And then you act surprised like there's traffic today. It's no different with persecution. You've chose to follow Jesus. You've chose to make your life different. You chose to live according to the scriptures and contrary to the world. And the world is going to hate you and attack you and persecute you. You're like, why are they doing this to me? Because you're following after Jesus. And if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. This scripture has never been more true than it is now. We are in a cancel culture and the world is going to run out of institutions to attack and the people to destroy. And when they finally figure out what we're actually doing in here, you're going to have to walk through protests to get inside of these doors. If they really knew how much we didn't agree with them, they would be out there right now. They really would. They, they, they think we're bark spreaders. Like they have no idea what, like what we do. I know I say that all the time. A couple more scriptures and then we'll get out of here and watch the Seahawks lose to the Jets. Um, <laughs> it's bound to happen. John 16 two, then they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. First Peter four thirteen. but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be also glad with exceeding joy. Just rejoice in the suffering. Just rejoice in the persecution. Just be glad. You're like, man, because some of us really haven't ever experienced that persecution. And so when it comes, just be like, you know what? I'm excited. Praise God. I've finally experienced the sufferings of Christ. Last scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 12. Yes, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Beatitudes. Live them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. I want to encourage you to become one. And it's really quite easy. Either you are a Christian or you are not. Either you've given your life to Jesus or you haven't. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've never said, I want to be a Christian, and you need to make that decision for the first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Turn from your sins. Turn towards God. Life everlasting.
Maybe you've been far from God. And I always like to ask people, they like to rededicate their lives. I'm not talking about a bad week. I'm saying like years. Man, you've been so far from God. You've been waiting for that moment to say, you know what? I'm done living for this world. I'm going to come back into the arms of Jesus. I want to live according to the scriptures. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, we want to pray with you as well. Is there anybody that needs to, I see that hand. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision today? Anybody else? Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for it, Jesus. Father, check all of our attitudes, myself included, God. Let's live a life that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.